Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. What should government's role be in promoting our health? That's the question for today. There's a spectrum, of course, of opinion from uh, not doing enough and uh, solving epidemic of obesity and other problems to uh, a nanny state, as some people call it. Uh, for example, New York City's mandated downsizing of sodas was recently blocked by a judge. That'll be appealed, of course. Here in Utah, House Concurrent Resolution Number 2 urges the state to address obesity. That overwhelmingly passed the recent legislative session. Some governments are adding fatty foods and violent video games to the traditional list of goods like tobacco and alcohol subject to sin taxes. Coming in the second half of the program, we'll have a discussion on sin taxes with two of the authors of a recent study, William Shugart, J. Fish Smith Professor of Public Choice at the USU Huntsman School of Business, and Adam Hoffer, Assistant Professor of Economics at the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. Right now, we bring in uh, two physicians who also happen to be representatives, or you could do vice versa. And we bring in uh, Representative uh, Stuart Barlow, Republican from uh, Fruit Heights, sponsor of uh, HCR number 2. Uh, Dr. Uh, Barlow, welcome to the program. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Tom. And uh, in studio, we have Ed Redd, who uh, is a representative representing uh, Logan. He's also a Republican and also a physician. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, So uh, let me start with you, uh, Dr. Barlow. Uh, First of all, uh, I understand that uh, you not so long ago were the sole member of the Physician Caucus there in in the House. Uh, but now you've been joined by four other physicians, um, and I don't know if you—I don't know if you physician representatives talk with each other, or is it just a, kind of a regular back and forth as representatives? Oh, we, we talk all the time, and actually very fortunate to have uh, Dr. Red as a representative. Uh, he he uh, represents his area very well, and uh, honored to work with him. Um, and. Uh, I, I th- I'm envisioning this, and it may not play out this way, that, uh, that there may be a tension, as you gentlemen have on your doctor hat, and then you take those off and put on your representative hats. We'll see as we go along, especially as regards government's role in promoting our health. Uh, first of all, what is uh, HCR number two? Why did you propose this? Well, basically, uh, this resolution draws attention to the problem of obesity, uh, which is basically an epidemic in Utah. Uh, most people are familiar with health problems that uh, create or uh, uh, are, are caused or are magnified by uh, social habits, like, for example, smoking. And but most people don't put obesity as a significant uh, comorbidity issue when it uh, deals with their health. And basically, this is to. Uh, to do a couple of things. One, it sends a, a message that first, uh, obesity is the second greatest uh, comorbidity that we have in our society. It's the second greatest uh, preventable uh, disease to reduce um, uh, death and uh, morbidity from other uh, illnesses. Uh, the second thing is to try to unite unite. Um, uh, different uh, organizations, and that includes uh, the state of Utah, as well as cities and counties, and uh, workforces and so forth together to approach this problem as uh, as a village approach. Uh, we think this is uh, where we will most likely have the best success in dealing with this uh, problem. Of course, this is a resolution. Uh, it doesn't have the force of law. It's urging uh, policies to to reduce obesity. What sorts of policies would would you hope are are imp- implemented? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one is we'd like uh, to see uh, people increase physical activity. This this can be done at the uh, school level. It can be done at the community level. It can be done at the, the state level. But different uh, actions to help people be more active. Uh, it can help increase uh, consumptions of fruits and vegetables. You know, this too um, can be obtained in multiple different uh, areas. You know, we'd like to see a decreased consumption of sugared, sweetened beverages and foods. Um, as a general society goal, we would like to see increased breastfeeding, for example, to, uh, to help deal with this uh, problem. And um, also a decrease in television watching. 
So these are kind of the, the priority areas that we would target. Dr. Red, um, I'm sure you agree. There's what, Would you call it epidemic of obesity? Yeah. I mean, in private practice and in primary care, you'll see this all the time. You'll see people that have obesity um, have all sorts of other problems besides just obesity. And some of the problems are related to their obesity, like diabetes, mellitus, heart disease, sleep apnea, back problems, arthritis problems. And a lot of these conditions lead to very expensive health interventions that cost you know society as a whole and individuals a lot of money. But more importantly, it reduces their quality of life and their, their overall health and shortens their life as mm-hmm. well. So I think the obesity by itself, uh, you know, it's hard to say, well, obesity resulted in this person's death or something like that. But it contributes to all these other problems that do reduce our quality of life and reduce our overall health and increase health expenditures and all sorts of you know, bad effects. So I mm-hmm. think things that <clears throat> would promote reduction in this problem and then help people understand it better, I think, are, is a good idea. And I believe that uh, there's a differential between uh, some developed nations and the U.S. in terms of life expectancy, and it's even even decreasing in, in, in part because of, of obesity. So we get to the crucial question. I'll, I'll start with this with Dr. Red. Um, then where should government come in? Should there be mandates, for example, to, to reduce these, these overall costs that we bear? Would you support a New York-style uh, mandated downsizing the sodas? Uh, you know, I, I really mandates in my mind are kind of the last measure that you should take in situations, and, and you should only you should use them sparingly when, <clears throat> when there's clearly a, 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 a uh, enormous risk and, a, and also a, a, an immediate or enormous benefit. I think the more important thing to do is, is educate people about, you know, what obesity is and what contributes to it and what kinds of things help reduce it and how it can improve your quality of life. Make it a personal thing for people. Make it may help them understand that this is not just uh, being overweight. This is a problem with future uh, quality of life issues. Mm. Uh, Dr. Barlow, do, do you agree? Would you would you agree with a New York style mandate uh, downsizing sodas, for example, a mandate, government mandate? I don't. Uh, I don't think mandates are the way to go with this at all. I would uh, oppose any mandates. Hmm. Uh, is there? Um, I mean, is there a point as a doctor when you? I, I know as as a good legislator, good Republican, you you probably would never go for mandates. But it, I'm, I'm probing for attention here as a doctor. Are you tempted? To, <laughs> are you ever tempted to, uh, to 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 think in that direction when you get frustrated by by this problem of obesity and other problems that you see? Well, it's, uh, you know, in many ways you can look at this problem a lot like the, uh, the issue with smoking. And it's taken our society uh, years to get to a point where, uh, you know, we, we have approached this uh, uh, smoking problem in an effective way where now people are, uh, are decreasing their, their rate of smoking. And we can see those numbers uh, drop. Part of that is because of the society uh, influence that has taken away the the coolness, if you will, of smoking, and and people now recognize that as a as a, a habit in, in many senses, and they also recognize it as a deterrent to good health. Mm. And smoking happens to be the the primary uh, preventable. Uh, the problem that we have that affects uh, health. Uh, obesity is right on its tail, though. And in, in many studies, we are now seeing that obesity is overtaking uh, tobacco as the uh, primary uh, uh, cause of uh, comorbidity. If you just joined us, we are talking with uh, two doctors who are also representatives. Uh, Representative Stuart Barlow, who's a Republican representing Fruit Heights, and Representative Ed Red, Republican from Logan. They're both physicians, and uh, Dr. Barlow sponsored House Concurrent Resolution Number 2, which urges the state to address obesity with obesity policies that overwhelmingly passed the uh, 2013 legislature. We're also talking about uh, perhaps uh, government policies on the other end of the spectrum, mandates, and uh, our two doctor uh, representatives are against those, uh, leaning more toward education. What do you think? 1-800-826-1495. We're throwing the question out to you, 1-800-826-1495. Do you agree with a New York-style uh, mandated reduction of uh, size of sodas? Um, another example is sin taxes, and uh, several representatives uh, on the national level have 
uh, proposed a syntax on violent video games, for example, expanding syntaxes out from tobacco and alcohol where they usually have been. We'll, we'll expand this discussion of syntaxes in the second half of the program. We could get that going right now. 1-800-826-1495, or you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Um, so, Dr. Red, continuing this discussion on uh, Dr. Barlow has has begun, do you see this as the blueprint for reducing obesity? The, the, what happened with tobacco? We, as a society, we just uh, sent the signal loud and clear that this is unacceptable socially, and, and that reduced the problem. Well, I think it's been, a, it's been a process that's happened over a long time. It's not something that just happened last year or 10 years ago. Uh, back in the 60s, uh, physicians would routinely smoke in their patients' exam rooms. I mean, this is, and we smoked in hospitals. I mean, things were not the same as they are now. And it took a science, uh, you know, epidemiologic data showing that actually tobacco does kill people and causes lung cancer and heart, and heart disease and, and lung disease and other problems. And, and it took a long time before people finally bought into the idea that maybe this is not such a great idea. And it, it, it didn't happen overnight. The, the, the cessation of you know, public edu- you know, public advertising for tobacco, for example, was a big hurdling, you know, stumbling block for a lot mm-hmm. of people. They didn't want to stop advertising. They didn't want to restrict that. Uh, the the idea of taxing cigarettes like we do right now was has been something that a lot of people are opposed and are against. You know, and I, I don't have any scientific data off the top of my head, but I have a lot of anecdotal experience that shows that when you make cigarette smoking expensive to the point where it now – becomes a personal financial burden for somebody to smoke they sometimes are able to quit when before when cigarettes were cheap they somehow couldn't quite get get it together enough to quit and i've had a number of patients not just one or two but you know dozens of patients who i worked with back in the 80s late 80s and early 90s uh that couldn't quit who have walked up to me in the stores hey dr red i quit smoking you know it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of it's one of those things that they're proud of but they'll, if you ask them how they quit, this is this is I just couldn't afford it anymore. And so I think mm. to say that syntax or taxing cigarettes has no effect, uh, maybe it, if you look at the whole population, maybe not. Uh, maybe it's a combination of education, a combination of you know teaching children in schools that this is a problem, teaching their parents it's a problem. The parents understand it. The parents are less likely to smoke around their kids than they were 40 years ago, and, and parents want to quit. Most parents that are addicted to nicotine really do want to quit and have a really difficult time doing it. So I think public education, helping people understand the consequences of things it really has a greater effect probably than taxing it does, but taxing has an effect too. Hmm. Dr. Barlow, I wonder if you agree. Do you, do you approve of uh, syntaxes on tobacco, alcohol, for example? You know, I, I'm, I'm uh, not really in favor of the, uh, of like increasing taxes. Uh, that's more of a political uh, view. And I think dealing with this problem in addition to other problems, sometimes that's, uh, uh, you know, is not my preferred way of going. Now, I think uh, Dr. Red is absolutely correct. As you make things more expensive, you uh, drive people from those uh, those sources, and uh, tobacco is a great example. But uh, you know, my my concern would mainly be to direct people to the uh, the public uh, health benefits that can be accomplished through fighting this problem. And I think uh, people, when you're dealing with obesity, there's a stigma attached to that that's, uh, that's really quite a, um, uh, a barrier. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to really tell someone, hey, you're overweight, you need to lose weight. And to that person, all the burden falls on them. And it's uh, and it's a difficult problem. It's not something that they can they can just you know take a pill for and they'll they'll be okay. You know, it takes a change in their lifestyles. It it takes a change in their um, their environment. Uh, they have to become uh, more physically active. Uh, you know, they've and in many ways it's a cultural change. You know, something as as simple as breastfeeding that has been shown to have um, a lifelong um, uh, uh, factor or improvement in reducing obesity, that's something that needs to be ingrained into our society so that uh, more people take advantage of it. Uh, it means watching less TV. It uh, you know means concentrating on eating more fruits. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into... Um, 
uh, fighting this problem with obesity. The last thing we need to do is to just say, look, uh, we'll tax these people more or we'll uh, we'll put such a burden on them that they, um, uh, you know, are forced to comply. Uh, I think the better route is to uh, educate and inform, and most people will will follow the the right direction. And basically, you know, it's not uh, having a soft drink is not going to make you fat. Sometimes we we uh, we tie all the problems on one specific industry, and um, you know, it's a global, it's a it's a, a community problem. Dr. Red, uh, first of all, I want to follow up with what Dr. Barlow was saying, but uh, would you, uh, you've expressed some uh, some agreement with uh, syntax on, or at least the effectiveness of a syntax on, on a product like tobacco. Would you follow that to fatty foods? I, I think that, uh, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, when you're dealing with eating, when you're dealing with obesity, obesity, obesity really is just like Dr. Barlow mentioned. It's, it's really a complicated thing. It's not just getting rid of soft drinks or getting rid of candy dispensers in schools or, or changing one meal a day. It really is a, a, a global effort. And, and to, to start taxing fatty foods or, say, or saying this is the cause of, of obesity or try to identify one single cause of obesity, I think, is, I think that's misguided. I, I don't think that going down the tax road with obesity is, is, nearly the, is, is not nearly as simple of a problem as, as the cause-effect relationship between smoking cigarettes and, and the adverse health effects with cigarettes. And, and, and I agree with Dr. Barlow completely that education really has to be the keystone to try, trying to help you know, improve the problem. Um, you, you, mandating things or legislating behavior changes is really, uh, I don't think, that effective in the long run. I mean, it, 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 and you should, you should, if you're going to do that, you need to use it. You need to re- reserve those kinds of efforts for extremely serious situations, not, not things like behavior changes that really do happen. It's, it's a change of an idea or an attitude towards how you face exercise, how you face. Uh, you know, eating and that sort of thing. And I think uh, education is important. I think increasing physical activity is is critical. I think uh, I look back on my own childhood and what we used to do after school and during the summertime and what, because and, we didn't have all these electronic distractions that we have nowadays. And I, I say, you know what, I'm sure I burned hundreds, if not thousands of calories a day, more than what some of the kids nowadays are burning because I was never inside the house much. I was always outdoors running around doing things. And I'm not saying that these kids are, I mean, these, if I had the same distractions they had, I'd probably be doing the same things that they're doing. And I, and, and I, I think as time goes on, we need to focus on, 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 you know, getting back into life, getting back into, you know, outdoor physical activity uh, and watching our diets. I think drinking lots of soft drinks is not a good idea, but I don't think we need to legislate that or, or tax it or, or make it a crime to, to drink soft drinks. I think we educate people about, hey, you know, there's 300 calories in that 16-ounce drink or, you know, 24-ounce drink or whatever you're drinking, and that adds up. Mm-hmm. You know, every 3,000 calories is another pound of fat, you know, and mm-hmm. it's something you're going to have to burn that or not consume it, or both, if you're going to lose weight and, and change your life. So I don't know. Uh, Dr. Barlow, um, I wonder in what form should the education take? And I'm thinking about the long, slow road without with the tobacco. And I'm looking at uh, some proposed labels, which the FDA went away with. They, they said, we'll tone down these. These are going to be graphic images of of dead people and bad lungs and and the like, but we've we've ramped up the you could you could lump this under education. Um, would, would you you know you wouldn't have graphic images at least at this point of of uh, problems of obesity? But uh, what form should that this education take to to try to move people on this issue? Well, you you actually bring up a very good point, uh, and I'm not exactly sure the uh, the extent of how you present this or whether you put this on a. Uh, the side label of a, a soft drink or or candy or whatever, but just to give you some numbers, and hopefully I'm right on on some of these numbers. But if you look at arthritis, you know, a person with an ideal weight has a prevalence rate of arthritis of around 18%, fairly high uh, when you consider other uh, disease processes. But if you're obese, that rate goes up to 30%. Uh, asthma, same thing uh, occurs there. The prevalence rate in a normal population is about oh, 6.8%. But in obese individuals, that rate goes up to 13.8%. So it's over a doubling. 
uh, depression, the same thing uh, happens there. There's almost a doubling in the 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 rate of depression. You know, from an average uh, population, which is around 3.4 percent, in obese uh, individuals, it's uh, 5.8 percent. Diabetes, the same thing. That's even more prevalent. Uh, uh, normal prevalent rates run about uh, about three percent, and in diabetics, uh, excuse me, and obese people, it runs about fourteen percent. So, I mean, do you put those things on the the canister? I, you know, uh, you may get to that point. But I think the thing that we all have to keep in mind is is the message is we're seeing the obesity rates uh, double over the past decade and uh, to the point that now we have approximately one in five children who are obese and we also have one in four adults who are obese and the uh, you know the data is very clear that um, you know those uh, uh, people who fall into this obese uh, category it's linked to increases in workers' compensation claims, uh, drastically higher health care costs for obese people compared to uh, normal weight people, lower productivity in the workplace for obese people. Uh, you know, this includes, in, includes uh, increased cost in medical care needed by those who are covered by state plans such as uh, Medicaid. So this is really a state issue, uh, you know, by, I think, paying better attention to the obesity uh, and working closely to reduce obesity in Utah, we can actually take steps to lower health care costs. The other thing to keep in mind is uh, overweight and obese kids, they miss more school and they're less likely to perform well academically. So this uh, continues on into the next generation. It's a uh, uh, an issue that will follow families. Uh, um, but I, I don't know if I helped answer your question. Do you put yes. all of that information on a label? Mm -hmm. I don't think you have a big enough can to put it all on, <laughs> to be honest with you. Mm. But uh, I think we need to get the information out. Now, I, what else can we do to help uh, uh, prevent or reduce this uh, epidemic? One is we can create and build smarter street systems. You know, we can when we put in street systems, we can make it accessible for those who are riding bikes, uh, those who are, are walking, those who are in transit type of systems. Uh, I mean, there's a lot we can do on a, a city level to help. You know, well, what can we do on a, a more broad level? Well, workplaces can have facilities that people can work um, and also have some exercise. Uh, you know, we can uh, focus on awards uh, in school systems to, uh, and also in, with adults to, uh, you know, uh, recognize them for uh, running a 5K or a 10K or, or whatever. So, the, uh, you know, communities can develop trails that uh, their communities can use. Uh, you know, there's a lot we can do to make uh, exercising fun, but also a, a pleasant experience. We have a couple of emails. We'll uh, get these in quickly, and then we'll have a final word from uh, Dr. Red, uh, and then we'll make a transition to talking about sin taxes with a couple of uh, professors, authors of a uh, study on uh, sin taxes. Uh, this is from St uh, Steve in Beaver Dam, Arizona. Uh, as a former New Yorker, I just want to point out that the supersized soda ban, which almost came to pass in New York City, is not New York style so much as it is Mike Bloomberg style. And so, uh, Steve, I take your point. And in fact, I have seen uh, on television New Yorkers making fun of that ban and uh, and uh, sort of poking fun at Mayor Bloomberg. So point well taken. Um, and uh, this is from Greg and Logan. What are ways to get information to people? I'll direct this to Dr. Red. What are ways to get in the information to the people? Would this start in schools? What about programs that give requirements for school lunches? 
you know, I think uh, <clears throat> messaging should come from all from all areas in, in people's lives, especially children as they go forward. You know, I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, they had this presidential exercise program where they gave you a little certificate at the end of the year if you documented how far you walked during your recesses or ran or jogged. And I remember, uh, I think I did over 100 miles, and they gave me this little certificate when I was in fourth or fifth grade, and I was quite proud of that. I don't know if anybody else remembers that, but when I was a kid, that's what uh, I did. I remember that. I remember that, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that was kind of, that was just one, one effort that, it sort of started me thinking about maybe I want to be physically active in my life, and, and I've kind of made the choices as time's gone on to do that. But I think for children, sure, it should be part of their education. It should be part of, you know, it could come through other organizations besides schools. It could come through churches. It could come through local community efforts. Uh, uh, these uh, fun runs are great activities to get people out and running and getting excited about doing something, uh, you know, Club sports and school sports and community sport activities are wonderful because it gets kids out of the house, gets them, you know, in, interested in sports. I think sports are, you know, a great thing to help children, um, you know, get away from some of the other things that distract them. And so I think it's a, it's an informational thing. Parents certainly need to be involved. Parents are, are by far the the biggest influence in children's lives. And if parents encourage their kids to be physically active and try to feed them good foods and teach them to eat good foods, that's going to probably be the biggest effect of all. So a good family. Uh, input to the children's lives is really important as well. We're out of time for this segment, uh, so we'll leave it there. But uh, you can continue this discussion, of course, with us as we continue uh, through the hour. The question for the hour, what should government's role be in promoting our health? And we'll be uh, transitioning a discussion to sin taxes. Uh, some people, some governments, some representatives are suggesting that we expand sin taxes away from or beyond tobacco and alcohol, the traditional subjects for sin taxes, to violent video games or to fatty foods. We'll be talking with uh, Professor Bill Shugart from USU and uh, Professor, uh, Assistant Professor Adam Hoffer from uh, University of Wisconsin La Crosse coming up in the next part of the, uh, the program. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Barlow, uh, thanks. Welcome, or, or uh, thanks for uh, joining us in the program. Well, thank you very much for allowing me this opportunity. It's really, it's truly been a joy. And uh, Dr. Red, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, more following a break. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Holly Strand. March is showtime for desert wildflowers in California, Arizona, and New Mexico. But in Utah's deserts, think April or May. Within those months, the exact timing, type, and quantity of blooms are highly variable. Flowering depends upon the pattern of precipitation from fall onward and on spring temperatures, sunlight, and elevation. And, of course, on the specific ecological requirements of each particular plant. Annuals are plentiful in the desert. Annual plants germinate, grow, flower, set seed, and die all within one season, often in the spring. To avoid water stress, some annuals will start their life cycle only when there is significant moisture. If it's dry, they may stay in seed form, waiting for better conditions. Likewise, many perennials, plants that live more than two years, can remain below ground as dormant bulbs, corms, or roots. But when conditions are right, these water stress avoiders, both annuals and perennials, will flourish, and we call it a good year for wildflowers. I couldn't find a wildflower hotline for Utah, so I called different parks representing Utah's three different desert regions to get a flower forecast for 2013. Nothing much is happening yet on the Colorado Plateau in and around Arches and Canyonlands National Parks. It's been pretty cold, according to staff ranger Sharon Brussel, so the appearance of spring flowers is somewhat delayed. But in April, we can expect to see evening primrose, twin pods, and milk fetches. In late April, early May, Prince's Plume, Globe Mallow, and Yucca. The scarlet blooms of Claret Cactus will follow. If you miss what you are looking for in Arches or the Needles District, just go higher to Islands in the Sky, adds Nathaniel Clark of the Canyonlands National Park. Here, because of the elevation, flowering of similar species occurs two to four weeks later. Snow Canyon is in the Mojave Desert region. Park manager Kristen Kamala told me that this is likely to be a typical year for wildflowers. Spectacled pod and lotus fetch are already out. 
Soon we'll see bright yellow flowers of the Mojave's signature creosote bush and the deep purple flowers of indigo bush. Prickly pear and Utah yucca will soon follow. If you want to see early spring blooms on Joshua trees, go south on Old Highway 91 from Gunlock to see Utah's one and only Joshua tree forest. To find out what's happening in the Great Basin, I spoke with Ben Roberts at Nevada's Great Basin National Park. He says there's been a bit less precipitation than normal, but it should still be an okay year for flowers. So far, he's only spotted one, Nevada lumatium. This brave little plant blooms even when there's snow lying on the ground. From a distance, you might even think the low-lying white flowers are a patch of snow. In April, desert paintbrush will appear, as will arrowleaf balsam root and purple sage. Wild iris, blue flax, and prickly pear will follow in May. For sources and pictures and suggestions for desert wildflower hikes, go to www.wildaboututah.org. For Wild About Utah, I'm Holly Stram. Wild About Utah is a partnership of the Stokes Nature Center, the Bridgerland Audubon Society, and Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about the proper role of government in promoting our health. In New York City, Mayor Bloomberg uh, proposed, and in fact it passed, but then it was struck down by a judge, a mandated downsizing of sodas. Here in Utah, House Concurrent Resolution Number 2 urges the state to address obesity. That overwhelmingly passed the legislature. Some governments, some representatives, are uh, adding fatty foods and violent video games to the traditional list of goods, proposing that it be added to the traditional list of goods like tobacco and alcohol, subject to so-called sin taxes. And in the first half of the program, we talked with two doctors who are also representatives, Republican Stuart Barlow of Fruit Heights and Republican Ed Red from Logan. Now we're going to make a transition talking about sin taxes, and we'll be talking with two of the authors of a recent study on that subject. William Shugart is J. Fish Smith Professor in Public Choice at the USU Huntsman School of Business, and he joins us in studio. Welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. And on the phone is Adam Hoffer, Assistant Professor of Economics at University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having me on. Let me read this email that we got uh, during the break, and this will transition, uh, I think, uh, very nicely into this subject. Responding to our discussion in the first half, uh, this emailer says, I think that obesity is the latest health care issue that has dreadful consequences for our society's future. I think we need to begin at birth with breastfeeding encouragement, school lunches, walking to school, etc. Just a thought, with LDS churches every four to six blocks from any given home, why not encourage Mormon families to walk to church? That might also help clean up the winter air. As to sugary drinks, I've never seen so much consumption as in Utah. Perhaps if it were more expensive, Utahns would cut down. So some good comments there. And that last sentence, Professor Shugart, this is in one of the impetuses behind syntax, is it not? We're going to try to, it, it seems like a very nice uh, policy decision. We're going to try to cut down consumption of something we don't like as a society, and at the same time we'll raise some revenue. Yeah, that's the, that's the uh, standard argument in favor of sin taxes, but uh, there are lots of uh, other issues associated with them that undercut a, a lot of those uh, uh, hopeful uh, wishes that we can just tax people and they will reduce their consumption of uh, things that we don't like them to consume. And part, part of this m- movement toward expanding sin taxes away from tobacco, gambling, and alcohol to food and uh, many other kinds of things is uh, driven, I think, by uh, the increasing socialization of the, our health care system. 
the more the general taxpayer uh, finances treatments for obesity or cancer or other uh, illnesses associated with that can be associated with uh, consumption of so good some goods, the more pressure there's going to be on people to stop stop doing those things that we don't like. Mm. This this ties in directly with another email we just got here. By the way, the email is upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Uh, keep those emails coming. We appreciate your uh, uh, participation in the program. You could call as well, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. And uh, we have another 20 minutes or, or so, uh, 15 minutes in the program. Our question is, what should government's role be in promoting our health? We're talking about syntaxes of this part of the program. Here's what Mon Gregory says. If some people's obesity increases everyone's health insurance costs, doesn't that give the public a stake in regulating obesity, whether through limiting single soda portions or syntaxing junk food? That's uh, the point that uh, Professor uh, Shugart was just making. Let me throw this to uh, Professor uh, Hoffer. What, what about that point? Doesn't that give us a stake as a society in, in uh, maybe a little more active government in in this uh, respect well sure so this is uh this is the growing concern from the public that you know as dr shugart said as public as the public starts paying for more of uh, an individual's health care costs then there will be more of a push from the public to try to regu- regulate better health care outcomes from individuals now in that email you just read, they mentioned sugary sweetened drinks and junk food, but by no means are those the only unhealthy things that people consume. So by that logic, if we're going to tax or regulate soft drinks and junk food, then we should also regulate anything whatsoever that's considered unhealthy, from you know soft drinks to bacon. Uh, so, Professor Schuart, do you, do you see a, a similar slippery slope sort of an argument here? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's been some studies that have just been released recently that show that lack of sleep is a contributor to obesity. Uh, stress is a comp- contributor to obesity. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? And you have to remember that all the things that are being talked about, the traditional sins and the new sins, are taxes on poor people, that they're disproportionately uh, – Consumed smokers are disproportionately poor. Uh, obese people are disproportionately poor. So here we're going to propose dramatically increasing the prices that they pay for uh, fast food and other things that we don't like them to consume. Uh, 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 and, and there are some consequences of that that are affect the distribution of income, make poor people poorer. <laughs> They have less money left over after they pay their taxes to spend on other things, including healthy things. And in a society where uh, people are constantly busy, they're trying to get the kids out to school in the morning, they're trying to get lunches fixed for them, uh, they're trying to feed themselves, uh, you know, uh, fatty, sugary, salty foods are cheap and Mm. convenient. Mm. And how you... uh, Overcome that by you know doubling or tripling the price prices of, of uh, items uh, will have a, a small effect on consumption, but not a major effect. Mm. And and the real issue here is that sin taxes are revenue raisers, mm-hmm. uh, precisely because people do not reduce their consumption very much in response to a higher price caused by tax. Uh, the Price goes up more than the quantity goes down, and so total revenue uh, uh, generated by the taxes uh, is very attractive to governments, especially in an era when state budgets are uh, stressed. Uh, And these sound like good ideas, but uh, rarely does the revenue raised by those taxes get spent in ways to reduce the consumption of those goods. Hmm. 
I want to pursue this, uh, some of the problems with uh, syntaxes that you found in your paper. But Professor Hoffer, uh, before we do that, I want to uh, pursue, pursue this. One of the points that uh, Professor Sugar just made was overall uh, consumption doesn't go down by that much. People don't really uh, reduce their consumption. They just pay the higher prices. Uh, Dr. Redd in the first half of the program uh, says he, he concedes that point. But he says anecdotally he has patients who have told him that uh, it, for them it just got, for example, smoking just got too expensive for them, and that's one of the reasons they quit smoking. Isn't that a, a good public good? Well, sure. So whenever the price of anything goes up, we would expect to see consumption fall by some level. Uh, with the price going up on things like tobacco, consumption has fallen, but maybe only for a few individuals. So he's heard from a few of his patients that uh, they quit smoking because the price of tobacco just got too expensive, but he certainly hasn't heard that from all of his patients. So what we find by studying the effect of price increases or tax increases is that, yes, sure, some people will stop consuming these goods, but overall, it won't be that many people. So... By far, more people will continue to consume the goods and therefore continue to pay this added tax that's been applied than the people that will quit consuming altogether. If you just joined us, we're talking about sin taxes. Those are the taxes that we uh, put specifically on goods that we as a society have deemed harmful. Uh, classic examples are tobacco and alcohol. Gambling it fits this. And now some are proposing that we expand these so-called sin taxes to violent video games, for example, or fatty foods. The argument being that uh, this is we need to reduce this as society. This is how government can help. We can raise some revenue. That revenue can be applied to the costs incurred by those uh, sinful activities. Uh, however... The authors of a new paper on syntaxes say that they're ineffective uh, for their purposes. And uh, two of the authors are with us in this half of the program, William Shugart, J. Fish Smith Professor in Public Choice at the USU Huntsman School of Business, and Adam Hoffer, Assistant Professor of Economics at University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. We have another seven minutes left in the program, and we would love to have your response to our question, what should government's role be in promoting our health? Would you agree with a uh, Mayor Bloomberg-style uh, uh, mandated downsizing of sodas, maybe syntax, or are you against that? If so, how do we get a hold of obesity, for example? 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Let me direct this next question to Professor Hoffer first. Um, what are some of the other problems with syntaxes that you found in your paper? Sure. So... It isn't only that, uh, Dr. Shugart touched on this, it isn't only that uh, these syntaxes fall primarily on the poor. Uh, We see wealthier individuals consume far less of a percentage of their budget of not only cigarettes and beer, but also fatty foods. Uh, Healthier food is more expensive. But we can move beyond that and look at what else happens in the economy whenever... uh, taxes are placed on these goods. So one of the first things that we see is that an industry who has a tax placed on their goods, like the cigarette industry or the beer industry, uh, the traditional sin taxes, they don't just sit there and happily accept that there's a tax on their product. Uh, with the Mayor Bloomberg you know, implementation of the, the soft drink ban in, in New York City, the soft drink industry fought back, and they fought back hard. They, uh, I, I joke that they raised a small army to go after this and fought it from just about every angle that you could fight it. And mm. so we see a substantial increase in things like lobbying, uh, campaign contributions, or just other ways of trying to fight this legislation. Mm. Uh, Professor Shugart, uh, the, there are recent proposals, and you, uh, you are are quoted along with Professor Hoffer in an Atlantic um, article. This is this is quite new in a response to uh, the the recent shootings. Uh, some representatives in Congress are proposing syntaxes on violent video games. I assume you would see the same problems with that as as with other syntaxes. Yeah, what, what one o- overarching problem with syntaxes is that they're blunt instruments for 
trying to reduce the uh, so-called social cost of associated with consuming these goods. And so people that consume uh, tobacco, beer, uh, uh, fatty foods in moderation are punished uh, to the same extent the people that overindulge and overconsume those goods. And, uh, for example, uh, alcohol, there's much – there's evidence that people that drink wine are uh, arrested far less frequently for DUIs than people that that drink beer or uh, hard hard liquor. Uh, But we have these taxes levied on all kinds of alcohol which ignores the fact that not all uh, alcohol is equally guilty uh, of contributing to uh, so-called social costs of uh, of consumption. Uh, I, I would point out that you know market prices already uh, punish people that are overweight. There's evidence from the labor economics literature that people that are uh, obese get paid less than people that are not obese, uh, things being the same. And that's a way to for employers to sort of build in or uh, price in uh, whatever additional risk uh, 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 overweight people may impose on the company's health care plan. So uh, to say that uh, people that are overweight – miss work more often than people that are slimmer uh, ignores the fact that, you know, overweight people are already paying or bearing some of the cost of their own consumption behavior. And to add on additional penalties on top of that is uh, counterproductive. Mm. Just have a couple of minutes left. We'll give final word to Professor Hoffer. Just and maybe we could close with this uh, general um, question: What should government's role be in promoting our health? Professor Shugart uh, touched on this. He he, he sees an in, invidious effect of the uh, you know expansion of government into healthcare in general. This is, is kind of a problem here. Uh, what would you say to that general question? What should government's role, if if any, be in promoting our health? Sure. So I'd like to you know reiterate the point that both Dr. Red and Dr. Barlow made that one of the best approaches going after this is education. It's really the the approach that worked the best with decreasing uh, tobacco consumption. It took several years, but uh, the government can play a very large role in education in informing consumers that oh, not only that obesity is a problem, but perhaps also ways of losing some weight. So there are a lot of healthy options that are out there. Um, one of the problems with sin taxes, like Dr. Shugart mentioned, is that they're a very blunt instrument. And losing weight tends to be much more of an individualized uh, activity. So some people lose weight by exercising more and not changing their eating patterns that much. Some people lose weight by simply dieting. There are a variety of options here, and basically the blunt policy instruments aren't going to do a great job of addressing this problem. So overall, I think education is probably the best route to take, and cities can also do a variety of things that encourage just healthier behavior. Uh, I think that we should encourage some entrepreneurial activities in addressing weight loss, whether it's biking paths or walking paths or just sidewalks, more availability to uh, get out and be active. We're going to uh, move our commentary that we'd normally uh, have at this point uh, to uh, to tomorrow or later in the week because we do have a caller. We want to fit in uh, Carla. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, my comment is basically I believe that government – should be totally out of the picture except for educating. Um, if they were, if they could even play a better role in taking their the foods that they send for school lunch, the regulations that they impose on school lunch for children. And I think I have a perfect example of an expeditionary learning school over in Perry, Utah, just over the mountain. My friend's husband is the principal there. 
Um, their daughter is the lunch manager, and she has implemented an excellent lunch program where it's natural, organic foods, even includes kids and sprouting alfalfa sprouts, broccoli sprouts to add in their lunches, and parents want to come eat lunch there. They've also been... Um, the state has even come to them and had her train people just to change the way we do things, um, which sure make a big difference. But government, I think more regulation does not do it. Taxes don't do it. It's the education and also letting letting go of the regulation that keeps people from um, keeps people from just relying on what's at schools and going beyond that and wanting to make a difference in how, how we eat and how we how we do our lives every day through exercise, through foods. I just think government needs to stay out of the picture. It's just one more tax that they're looking forward to, and that really doesn't help the problem. Thanks, Thank thanks Carla. Appreciate the Thank comment. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll at this point give Professor Shugart the, the last word, just a, a couple of minutes. Well, I, I agree with the caller that we should get the USDA out of the school lunch program and quit uh, pushing chocolate milk on our on kids, which is uh, very sugary uh, and very fatty. Uh, but uh, you know, the uh, Dr. Red or or the, your other guest earlier said, you know, information is important, but the already labels on foods are in such fine print. And there's so much information given on them that it's, it's, I think most people ignore it. Uh, only a few few uh, careful shoppers actually bother to look at the, at the ingredients and know how much sugar and how much fat and how much salt they're getting in, in processed foods. Uh, under the new health care plan, uh, you know, cigarette smokers' insurance premium is going to be about $5,000 a year more than the premium for a non-smoker, but there's no differential pricing for obesity. And so the rate of someone that's very obese for given age and uh, uh, is the same as someone who's, who's fit and trim. Uh, I th- think another problem is the, the body mass index, uh, which is a convenient way of, of measuring obesity, but it's also misleading in the sense that it doesn't differentiate between body mass caused by fat and body mass from muscle. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger is obese, uh, uh, according to the BMI. Uh, so government has, has a role for, for education, but it also has uh, should stop providing disinformation uh, to, to consumers by, uh, you know, subsidizing uh, school lunches that are not a healthy diet. We have been talking about uh, government's proper role in promoting our health. Very good discussion this hour, and we uh, thank um, William Shugart, J. Fish Smith Professor in Public Choice at the USU Huntsman School of Business. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. And uh, Adam Hoffer, who is Assistant Professor of Economics at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Coming up tomorrow, we continue our series on the Holocaust and uh, piggybacking on a USU Religious Studies program, we'll be talking about the subject, what can Mormons in the U.S. learn from the case of Mormons in the Third Reich? And Alan Keel, Professor Emeritus in German Studies at BYU, will be our guest. Join us then. For producers Danny Hayes and Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.